Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Acts chapter 9. I want to feed your spirit tonight. We're going to have fun. And if you think you've heard this before, a couple of you might have, it's changed. We may launch from the same text, but it'll be different. Are you ready for different? Turn to your neighbor and say, he doesn't preach long. It just seems that way. (laughs) Acts chapter 9, pick it up in the 22nd verse. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. That is one of the biggest pivotal transformational scriptures in the New Testament. 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. You know you're doing something right when the devil puts a target on your back. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. (laughs) You get killed in the same couple of verses about your life, you're not having a very good day. (laughs) Then the the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. They led him down through the wall in a large basket. I want to talk to you about rope holders. I don't know their name. I just know they did it. And I don't know about you, but you might be a rope holder. I I think this church is loaded with them. I think this label on you looks good as rope holders. In the Bible, there are a lot of rope holders, but not all good ones. There's Joseph's rope holders that he once called brothers. I got brothers like that. Some. The Midianite traders in the 37th chapter, verse 28, when they passed by, so the brothers called Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites, for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Nice bunch of brothers. In John 18, verse 28, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Peratorium, and it was early morning. I've been to Caiaphas's house. I've been down in the tank. Maybe you have too, and if you go with your pastor there someday, you'll probably go to Caiaphas's house, and hewn out of the rock is the place they held Jesus. I went down in there, with a guy named Brother Giese, Pastor Giese, pastored Native Assembly in Anchorage for many, many years, wonderful guy. And everybody left out of that pit, and he and I stuck around, and he looked up and he said, 48 years ago today, Jesus lifted me from a pit just like this. I had a crying fit. We stayed and praised the Lord until some rope holders came and got us out and said, you're going to miss the bus. (laughs) There are two kinds of people at at either end of the rope. 
There are the rope holders and there are the rope danglers. And let me just tell you the truth. Every one of us were once a dangler. At some point in our life, we might have even been at the very end of the rope and somebody threw us a lifeline and we made Jesus Christ our Lord. How many can still remember their day? <laughs> so you're either a rope holder or a rope dangler. You're at one end or the other. And just a word about the rope danglers, because that's what most of us are. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. So he's down inside that basket. We don't know who these two are. They're not named. They're called disciples, but they could have been 120 of them in the upper room. They could be any one of them. They're, they're, they're probably not one of the ones that were closest to Jesus. But they got somebody on the other end, people on the other end of their rope, the danglers. They're hoping that the rope holders are good rope holders. And I would be more concerned on the other end of that. If I'm on the other end of that, I want to be worthy of somebody holding that rope. I want to be worthy of their efforts to help me out of the pit that I'm in. In Saul's life, he's not called Paul yet. In Saul's life, they want to kill him. And if this escape doesn't work... Everything is done. Here's a reminder to those who are danglers, those of us on the end of that rope in that basket. God makes a way where there seems not to be a way. You think it's impossible. It's not impossible with God. His strength, mm, he strengthens us. We're the feeble. And he strengthens us for the journey, Psalms 105, verse 37. I love it when the Bible says in the 105th Psalm, nobody walked feeble when they left Egypt. You see, that's God's ability to tell two million Jews that have never gone on a hike before. You're going on a long hike. There's no sniveling. There's no stubbing your toe. There's no hangnails in this group. There's none feeble. And they leave. If you're dangling today, know this. The steadfast love of the Lord never fails. His mercies never come to an end. They never, never, never come to an end. They are new every morning. Lamentations 3.23. But I think of Hebrews 13.5. He himself says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You may feel like you've reached the end of your rope, but I'm here to tell you, God will never leave you nor forsake you. How many know that's true? You've been there. You know. He makes a way where there seems not to be a way. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give over. But watch and see the hand of God. And then there's the, I'm halfway done. There's the, there's the rope holders. So if you're on the other end, I'm just asking you, be worthy of somebody holding your rope. If they say, I want to meet you for coffee. If, if they're mentoring you, show up on time. Show up a little early. Be there for them to pour into your life. 
So the rope holders, out of verse 25, and the picture shows it. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. The rope holders are very special people. Over the years, they've empowered us to be educated, to be disciplined, to sometimes actually save our life. I like, I like, I remember the day that my grandmother died. 96-year-old prayer warrior. She didn't care if it was Ramadan, Christmas, Easter, Halloween. She prayed through every season. Didn't matter. And when she was rewarded and promoted, I felt the loss. I have a praying mother, 86 years old, who follows in her mother's steps. She may have Alzheimer's and the cloud may the cloud may pour in on her memory, but when I say, Mom, pray for me, blows that cloud out. She's a rope holder. Characteristics of rope holders, they're faithful. In 1 Kings 18, 4, one of my most favorite people is Obadiah, not Obadiah of the minor prophet, but Obadiah of somebody who nobody knew and packed water for three years during a famine and a drought. And in that, he fed a hundred prophets in two caves for three years. Pat, what are you doing today? What are you doing today, my husband? Uh, I'm, I'm packing water to the cave where they're hiding out. Okay, what time will you be back? Well, sun's rising now, probably sun come down. When he got there with the buckets of water, when he got to the cave, I'm sure nobody said, would you supersize mine today? Would you bring some surf and turf tomorrow? They were grateful for Obadiah, and he did it for three years. Packed water, 1 Kings 18.4. They're fearless. Those who let Paul down put their own lives on the line. They're like Nathan and his bony fingers saying to King David, thou art the man, and you got to get it right. And if he doesn't do that, then we don't have Psalms 51, verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see, some people need to be fearless before the king and tell them the truth. Rope holders are not afraid. They're futuristic. Rope holders that are futuristic believe in the redemptive process. That's why we have Barnabas leaving Paul and going off with John Mark until Paul says, Bring John Mark back. He's profitable to me. Barnabas knew that all along. He knew what the future looked like, but he also was the same one that said to the disciples, this guy Saul, he's part of the body of Christ. And when they doubted him and when they said he's breathing out threats and he's the one that's crucified uh, people, including our friends, he said, yeah, but God has called him to do things that we can't do. Futuristic. Futuristic. Romans 4.17, God calls those things that are not as if they are. Futuristic. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. They're futuristic. That's what rope holders do. They're futuristic. They supervise and they're going to portray something that you haven't seen before. They're going to reach out. They're going to do something. They see 
the possibility of transformation in every single person that crosses your path. You just see that way. I got some nasty people in my life. I just wish they'd be nasty for Jesus. <laughs> Go after it. And when I listen to their foul mouth or take their sharp elbow to the ribs every once in a while, I just think, what could they do for Jesus? I used to live out here for a little while when we were in transition from Soldatna to Anchorage. Anchorage looks great in a rearview mirror. <laughs> just saying. <clears throat> and um, you know that drive back and forth? That does get old. And I saw some flag waving that I've never seen before on the road. I think it was road rage. I'm sure it was Anchorage people that work in the valley and were driving back to town. <laughs> and I don't know what I did to perturb them, but I just keep looking at them and say, Jesus, what could they do for the kingdom of God? A chief sinner. I want to transition the closing. He said that about 30 minutes ago. It takes a while to just let this fester about in your soul. Just let it feed you a little bit. His name was Carlos, and he didn't have a rope holder and didn't know he needed one. He had some other nicknames that went along with cocaine. His girlfriend was in the car, and she said it was a borrowed car. Unfortunately, they didn't let the owner, they didn't ask the owner if they could borrow it. So it was already out with the police department. The dispatch sent the word that the car had been stolen. Another word for borrowed. And the car uh, was being driven by Carlos. And in the back seat was a guy named Daryl who was supposed to have sold a bunch of drugs, but he somehow ate the money. The money was gone for the drugs. The drugs were gone. The money was gone. Not a good scenario for the guy in the back seat. Daryl knew that. And he said, well, the money's in my apartment. Drive over to my apartment. And when they pulled up there, the cop was right behind them because that car, allegedly borrowed, was being tagged as stolen. Daryl thought, thank God, jumped out of the car first, pulled out his ID and gave it to the officer and took off running. It was his out. Carlos got out and started fighting with the female police officer. You can look this up. It's a part of record. It's about 30 years old, uh, pushing 40. And, and he called for his girlfriend to bring his gun. A 38 was in the glove compartment of the car. The officer yelled, don't do it, don't do it. She did it. She gave Carlos, and they're, they're wrestling and fighting. And he got his hand on his 38, so she pulled her nine. And they had a firefight. And Carlos took nine shots to his body, and the police officer took two. Carlos went into a coma for some time. The police officer recovered, thank God, very quickly. Carlos came out of the coma several weeks later and started babbling in his broken English, a heavy Hispanic accent. And he was talking about heaven. 
And the nurse attendant knew just enough to recognize that he had had a heavenly experience. And God had sent him back. So after about three, four weeks of a coma, he wakes up, starts talking about heaven. And she goes and said, she says, do you need a chaplain to talk to you about heaven? I need someone. I don't know what a chaplain is, but I need someone to talk to me about heaven. She went and got one of our senior volunteers by the name of Mabel Rasmussen. If you were ever in the Tanana Valley, you would know that name. She was an incredible hospital chaplain. Presbyterian, and an incredible DOC prison chaplain. She was everybody's minister and tireless. So she came in, listened to Carlos, and led him to Christ. And then she started discipling him. Of course, he's going to be down a long time, rightly so. You shoot at a police officer, you're going down a long time. Don't think for a moment that you won't be doing time. You're going to be doing time for a long time. And so as he's in waiting for his pretrial, and, uh, and Daryl turned state evidence, they caught up with him. And so Carlos went down a long time. They didn't need any more on him. They had enough. But Mabel Rasmussen discipled him and fed into his spirit, and he was sentenced. He got somewhere close to 40-some-odd years, and... Um, and while he's in there, he starts writing devotionals in Spanish and, and just writing them. And he compiles all this stuff and he shows Mabel, look, this is what I got. The same time, he gets transferred to Arizona and he leaves the big pack of Hispanic daily devotionals with Mabel Rasmussen. She don't know what to do with them. She doesn't have anybody that can interpret for her, but she'll find someone. Meanwhile, back in Alaska, on the Kenai Peninsula, there's a lady named Lois. She's in her mid to late 50s, been married five times. And the fifth one locked her in their little travel trailer, little extended travel trailer with the wanting, locked it all up, boarded it up, wouldn't let her out because she was a full-blown alcoholic. He was trying to make her go dry. He locked her in that thing. She's beating on the doors to let, let me out. And she says, she, she says, you better let me out. And he says, I'm not letting you out. In fact, I'm divorcing you. And she says, you can't divorce me. Nobody divorces me. I divorce you. And they're having this argument about their marriage, one locked inside the trailer and the other one out and leaving. <laughs> so she begins to look for a drink in that little travel trailer. And she's going through everything, every cupboard, under the cot, everywhere, behind the couch, everywhere. And she remembered a package that her new boss, she just got a new job. She remembered they gave her a gift. They don't look like it'd be, it just didn't look like Crown Royal, but she thought she better check the box that they put it in. She unwrapped it and pulled it out, and it's a book. And it's a funny book because it has her name engraved on it. My friend Judy and Gary Hinkle bought her a Bible and had her name engraved on it. So she gets it all there. She's still looking for a drink, but says, this is the only thing I got in here. She starts drinking in the Word of God. Lois Spee got saved in that locked-up trailer. She gets out. Somebody comes back, gets her out. She goes to Gary, and Judy says, what does this mean? She read through the book of Romans, and she knelt in that little trailer, gave her heart to Christ. 
and Gary and Judy are just, they're blown away. So they start discipling her. She gets on fire. She can't give her Bible up. She's just ripping it up. She's like Jeremiah eating the thing into shreds. And, and she says, it's the weekend. What do you guys do on the weekend for fun? What do Christians do on the weekend for fun? <laughs> Gary and Judy say, well, yeah, we have a really good time. What do you do? Well, we really enjoy ourselves. What do you do? Well, Friday night we go to the prison for prison ministry night. Lois says, well, that's weird. Let's go do it. She goes. She gets hooked. <laughs> you know, she's 96 today, calls me all the time, says, can I get into the prison? If I come up from Florida and I fly up to Juneau, can I go and see, can I see this person and that person? Can I? And it's getting a little bit difficult. My secretary gets online and says, it's Lois. Do you want to take it? <laughs> and, I, and, and so Lois, uh, she gets saved. <laughs> she starts doing prison ministry in our our people go to Arizona, and um, they, they get down there, and Mabel Rasmussen goes down to see Carlos. And Carlos is just doing extremely well. He's in our discipleship program. He's helping other inmates that are going through the same kinds of things that he once went through. He's seeing people come to Christ. He's just amazing. So uh, Mabel Rasmussen goes down there. She's got all that stuff under her arm that Carlos has written. And she sees this lady and just started talking to her because they're both doing prison ministry things and they look about the same age. And so they, she starts talking to Lois and Lois says, what are you doing here? And she said, well, what are you doing here? Well, we're doing prison ministry. And so Mabel says, Lois, what do you do for a living? Because they were both in their middle age, we'll call them. They're probably late middle age, but they were middle age. And so... Lois says, well, I don't know, not much. Well, what, did you go to college? Well, yeah, I went to college. I got a degree. What would you get a degree in? Well, I specialize in interpreting Hispanic to English. <laughs> Mabel says, I know you're calling. I have it right here. <laughs> you're supposed to interpret this into English. This is a book that Carlos wrote, and I want you to have it. And this is it. It's called The Keys to Success. And since Vicky's one of my favorite people, and I already gave Pastor Gil one, and, and uh, I, wanted, I wanted to do this, too, for uh, Mayor Edna DeVries. I want you to have that. If you don't know why we have a dividend, you need to get around her. She understands Article 8 of the Alaska Constitution. That woman gets it. And I just applaud her leadership and what she's doing. She, she's helped me out, and you don't know this. One day you were praying with the pastors on Thursday morning prayer meeting. I drive out here for that prayer meeting. I absolutely love it. And she was just praying for the pastors, and you just blessed my socks off. Thank you so much. I've been wanting an opportunity to rise and honor you. So Lois and, and Mabel Rasmussen meet, two peas in the same pod, and one starts interpreting for the other. And, uh, and so then fast forward, I start working for Department of Corrections, and I knew, Car I knew about Carlos. I met with him, and I interviewed him to become my senior. Uh, our TLC program, our discipleship program, I want you to be the lead person in this. And I'm, I'm interviewing him about that. And I asked, have you uh, asked forgiveness for all the people that you've offended? He says, yeah, there's just one I can't. And I keep pressing him to say who it was, and he wouldn't say. Because by this time, 
I knew the guy who had been in the back seat. This is a, look, we look big on a map, but we're not a big state. We're awfully small. We just look big on a map. That's it, that's all. You can know everybody. So I start working with Carlos, and he's just amazing. I love his book, and it's a devotional book. Just purely devotion, daily devotional book. And Inmates, this is the number one book in the Alaska prison system. Number one book, I believe, in Nevada and Arizona. And it's made it into Europe. It's also has been sold on Amazon. I don't know if this is a sold-out copy or not. But the second one is in the works. So, so I asked him, uh, so Daryl, the other guy, the backseat guy, he calls. And he wants to come to Alaska fishing. He lives in Tri-City. And I said, sure, you can come. I'll put you up. And um, so he comes up and he, I said to him, Daryl, you know, Carlos is out of goose. Have you ever thought about connecting with him again? Because I knew, Carlos, this would be okay. I didn't know how okay it would be with Daryl, but I knew that he'd gotten right with God, was doing well. But what would it be like for these two guys? One was going to murder the other one. What would it be like to be in a room with two guys that once wanted to kill each other? I don't know, but I thought I'd find out. Hey, I, I don't like boring, so I'm just going to tell you. So, so he said, I'll pray about it. And I thought, well, that's over. He won't do it. He's going to go fishing. He's like Peter. Let's go fishing. Next morning, he comes and uh, gets with me. He said, let's go do that. Do what? Let's go meet with Carlos. I hadn't really thought this through very well. So, so I, make res- res- I call the institute and say, hey, I'm coming out. It's Saturday, chaplain. You don't have to be here on Saturday. Yeah, I'm coming out. So I drive out there with Daryl. This time he's in the passenger seat, and I take somebody else as a witness with us just in case things go sour. (laughs) So we get out there, and I was in the library where I'll get you a job if you need it. So I'm looking looking out over at, uh, and uh, Todd Stafford, if you're here, Chaplain Stafford's here, he knows. You can look out the library, and you can see Juliet where Carlos was. I I see him waddling across. He's a short, stocky guy. He's coming across in his pumpkin suit. And I'm just, I said a prayer, Vicki. I said, Lord, I hope this goes right. And I knew that it would go right in Carlos because I've been pouring into this guy's life and I've seen what God has done. I'm sure it's going to go right. I just don't know about the guy who was once in the back seat. But he walks into that room and Daryl jumps up. And Carlos steps forward and says, and, and Daryl started to say something, but Carlos says, Daryl, I'm so glad you're here. I've wanted to ask your forgiveness because I wanted to do you harm that day. Daryl started crying. And then Carlos started crying. And then remember the other person I brought as a witness? They start crying. (laughs) And they're bawling and they don't know much of anything (laughs) except one part. I brought my wife. Because Daryl is her brother. And so on the day that this whole thing went down and the police were looking for Daryl Bussell, last known residence, 249 Parks Highway, that's the church in Healy where we were pastoring. We're watching the news. We hadn't heard a word about this. Daryl had been gone. He came to Alaska, lived with us for a while, tore up my machinery and left. I'm over it. So... 
we get, we, we get this reconciliation that was so cool. <laughs> and, then, and, you know, it takes an hour and 40 minutes to drive from Anchorage to Goose, almost thereabouts. He cried all the way home, back to Anchorage. And my wife did, too. It was powerful. Now, fast forward. Story's not over. And parts of it I can share with you and parts I can't. But it's evolving. On Gil's birthday, I'm going to judo, June 8th, because something happened. You see, the victim always showed up and let the parole board know, don't let him out, he's a fake, he's a phony, don't let him out. And I, I don't say anything. That's part of my role. I don't advocate before the parole board. And he had no chance of getting out until he flatlined his 40-some-odd years. No chance. And I understand that. He shot a police officer. She had called two months before the parole board, or the parole, uh, the, uh, parole officer called her and said, he's coming up for parole again. Do you want to be here? Do you want to meet with the parole board? She thought about it. And she said, I heard he wrote a book. And that parole officer happened to have it on his desk. He had a signed copy on his desk that the chaplain got him. And he said, yeah, I got a copy right here. Do you want me to send it to you? He, he didn't even wait for any kind of, said, she said, I'd like to read it. There is nothing in there about his case. There's nothing. He doesn't talk about the case. Um, there's a little history uh, bio in it, but she gets the book. It's a female officer, and I, I can't do the math here, but I can tell you that before the parole board, everything flipped. Everything flipped. And 13 years before he flatlines his time, he's walking out of the gate. And I'm just going to tell you that the next time I come out, I'll bring Carlos with me. But you know, who the, you know who the gem of the story is? It's Mabel Rasmussen, who threw Carlos a rope. It's Lois Spee, who reached out and just did something for Carlos that he couldn't do for himself. Pastor, this church is a rope-holding church. Pastor Vince, this church always loves to tie a knot in here so it'd throw really good. I like that. Look at that. I had total ruptured rotor cuff not long ago. They want two. Ushers, could you come and help me? Just pass these out. Just take them. And in prison, I can't do this. <laughs> they won't. I don't know why that's so funny. They won't let me throw the rope around, spread out and just, I don't know if I got enough here tonight, but I like a church that's a rope-holding church because when you hold a rope for somebody and you look down there and somebody starts questioning, what are you doing? So I'm holding the rope for Paul. His name's not Paul, it's, it's Saul. He's been breathing out threats. So that's not what I see. I see transformation. I see a Roman's road that we're going to need to win people to Christ. I see Romans chapter 3. I see Romans chapter 5. I see Romans chapter 8. Memorize the whole chapter. I see Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. When I look down that line, I see Corinthians. We're going to need a chapter 13, a love chapter, because people need something to read when they get married. We're
We're going to need Ephesians chapter 6 to teach us how to pray. We're going to need Philippians chapter 4 just because we're going to need encouragement. And we need to know that at the end of the book, in the book of Revelation, what does Paul have to do with John? I'll tell you what, they were in the same business. Somebody held a rope so that we could get to the book of Revelation. Somebody for you and for me held a rope. Church, never, never grow tired of holding a rope. You don't know what's going to happen, how God will do a transformational work to somebody down on the other. It may look dark down there. They may look the ugliest guy in the Department of Corrections in the state of Alaska just gave his heart to Christ during COVID. He is by far the ugliest guy that I've ministered to. There is nobody. Put the five ugliest people together. You can't compare. He is bad. Gang member. Scary looking. Kind of guy, if you look down at the end of that rope, don't look. Gave his heart to Christ. They put him in the hole for his own protection in SEG. So the gang members that he once was a part of and is now denounced, wants to go to church on Sunday, wants the state chaplain to come down and water baptize him. Those guys won't, won't kill him or do harm to him for his own protection. He's not long for that prison. I'm looking forward to him. Maybe I'll bring him. I love, I love churches that are I love people that know how to throw that rope down there. <laughs> don't grow weary in doing good. Because somebody did it for you. Don't tell me someone didn't do it for you. You may think, oh, but they all left me since then. Listen, somebody reached out to you. You're not here tonight on a Wednesday night loaded with warriors at King's Chapel on a Wednesday night unless somebody threw you a rope, threw you a lifeline. So church, be a church. Lord, I'm thankful for every person in the house, and I'm thankful for the rope holders. This church knows they get it. It's so fun to preach this because they get it. But let us not grow weary. During this COVID time, there are many people around us that need someone to throw them a lifeline, someone to throw them a rope, someone to speak into their life, someone to disciple them, someone that could believe that God would do a transformational work in them. They may look ugly. They may have done terrible things, but there's a transformational power of God to work from the inside out. We believe it. We speak it. <laughs> look into those things that are not as if they are. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Let it be in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.